Hello! Welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions and interests shape our identity and our lives. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I am a musician and therapist in Los Angeles, and I also happen to be your host. This podcast is produced by Laura Studeris, and for this season, we've partnered up with Under the Radar magazine. If you like what you hear, you can hang out with us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at WNB, the podcast. And if you really, really like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. We are under Why Not Both podcast. When you join our Patreon, you get a whole bunch of really cool behind the scenes stuff and you get to chat with us. And that's pretty awesome. Thank you so much for your support. And I hope you enjoy our interviews. For this week's episode, we got to hang out on Zoom with the one and only William Shatner. I hope that you enjoy our interview. How to? Okay, got it. There we go. Now now you've mastered Zoom. I don't know whether anybody ever masters Zoom. I've been doing a lot of Zoom. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm always on the, on the air, whatever you call it, 15, 20, sometimes a half an hour early. Because my anticipation is that something technically is going to go wrong. And you know what? Generally, I'm right. Generally, it does. And I have to scramble with uh, people who help me scramble to do whatever technically went wrong. And and sometimes it's my fault, but sometimes it's not. Like you got the wrong number or, or it doesn't work or there's something. Anyway, so... Well, the, you're you're not alone. My parents accidentally crashed a Rosh Hashanah service that was not from their <laughs> temple. <laughs> Happy New Year, anyway. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was like, we'll be doing Rosh Hashanah online again this year, and so hopefully yeah. they got it down. <laughs> I was like, guys, how would you do that? My mom was like, if we knew, don't you think we would have told you? Right. <laughs> Well, welcome to Why Not Both, where occasionally Zoom works. <laughs> so we generally talk on this podcast about the gazillion things that everybody does, and and you, sir, do a gazillion things. I am. I'm. Uh, I'm enormously busy. What I'm. Um, uh, I've. I guess over the course of my life, I've prepared inadvertently to handle the, this enormous rush of things that I'm doing like today, I started at nine o'clock. Oh, goodness. And, you know, like every half hour, I'm doing an interview. Oh, my God. And, um, yeah. And phone calls to another event that that. And so it's, it's been overwhelming, and I'm not being overwhelmed. And it would be very easy to get overwhelmed. You know, like, Oh my God, I can't do that. So I'm good. Yep. Lots of interest. What do you do to help you not get overwhelmed? That's interesting. Good for you. Um, uh, to slow down and say, I don't have to be overwhelmed because I can deal with this right now and I will deal with the next thing in the next moment but I can fully, rather than horses, as you may or may not know, are a passion. I, th I thought we would discuss Hopefully. that as well. But horses teach you to live in the now. Mm. Horses aren't worried about the lion that 
almost ate them yesterday and the lion that might eat them tomorrow. They're worried about the lion today. So right. they're looking around and they live in the now. So if you live in that moment and take care of that moment, like take care of this interview and give it my full attention, not worry about, well, I, did I do all right? Yeah, the last one. Oh, I've got another one coming. But just pay strict attention. Give this my full undivided attention without any thought that something came before and something coming after. That's the way to deal with it. I deeply appreciate that. Hmm. Actually, I meditated right before this interview because prior there were many things happening and after there will be many other things that happen. Maybe but I wanted not. to make sure Maybe that- Maybe it all, all ends with your meditation. You <laughs> into the ether and be one with the- Well, how do you meditate? What are you doing? I actually practice transcendental meditation. So you've I got a mantra, which really is meaningless because you could take exactly. any mantra. Okay. Of course. And then, so you say that to yourself- Mm -hmm. Over a period of how much time do you allow? Um, when I have a really good one, I, I try to do 20 minutes at a time. I only okay. had time because I was in transit prior to this to you do were, 10 minutes. You were in transcendental on the... Transcendental. <laughs> right. You were going to uh, get your teeth fixed, so you were in transcendental. Uh, okay. The, um, but you don't need that mantra. What's interesting is for me, I had tried other forms of meditation, and I'm not sure what kinds you've tried, but I found that I really liked this one because the mantra is almost like the key to the room, because I only think that sound, that series of phonemes when I'm about to meditate. Well, why don't you do your breath? You know, I, I tried that and I found it distracting unless I had gone through a, a really hearty exercise class or a yoga well, class. Well, you're distracted like, yeah. because you don't do it all the time. If you did it over a, you could get used to anything that occupied your conscious mind uh, and allowed it to, whatever it does, filter into your unconscious, I suppose. You just need to lose your consciousness and allow yourself to go out Correct? Yes. Right. Yes. So anything can do that. That is true. I tried, I could try my breath again. I like that the mantra almost sparks. Well, no, why, why not? Just stick with yeah. your mantra. <laughs> well, it's good to be versatile. And have many mantras, like you have many passions. Exactly. And that way you have many entry points into that lovely just state of the collective universal unconscious. How nice to yeah. have a set of keys. Okay, of so that. now that's the question, really, the collective unconscious. Yeah. What is the collective unconscious? Wonderful question. <laughs> I remember my dad once explained to me when I asked him about death, that it was just the interchange of matter and energy, that they just go back and forth. And so that's how I think of the collective unconscious. Oh, matter, it's that. the interchange between matter and energy. Yes. And that things, that's a fusion. Yeah. Isn't it? Um, I think that might be nuclear fusion where, where one goes to the other. But I think. Well, of, well, well, stars go from or they're either building or or, or dying right. and they go from material to fusion or fusion to material. Yes. So what we're attempting to do on. Uh, uh, that kind of exercise is to match the universe and be part of that. Yes, to kind of get in the. But it isn't the collective unconscious; it's the collective universe, isn't it? It's 
the collective everything. It's just yeah. to kind of settle in and just be okay, just just With being in that flow. Yeah, yeah. Just so I think some of that terminology is misleading. I agree. I think that sometimes words are inadequate to express things. Wow. To you, my dear. <laughs> Why, thank you. I will, I will cheers you with hydration as well. It's important. <laughs> so now that we've addressed the very nature of the fabric of reality, <laughs> you got a review of your album that was fantastic right before we hopped on the interview and it delighted me to hear about it. <laughs> That's right. So I was, I was about to tell you that uh, as we... As we um, actors, I suppose, anybody, directors, anybody who has created something, your first day on your podcast, uh, anybody who's created something, who's presenting somebody something to, to somebody else, whether it's uh, a vast audience or an audience of one, you are presenting a, a gift of your imagination, I guess. And... So like a newborn, uh, here's my baby. Mm -hmm. What do you think of my baby? And the daddy, in your case, the daddy says, oh, my God, it's got your eyes. And you're like, yes, <laughs> it's got my eyes. But honey, it's got your mouth. Yes, it's got my mouth. And you, you, you rally to the joy of the mutual love and acceptance of this newborn gift. So we do the same thing with a new entity, like in this case, this album called Bill, which is being released uh, in bits and pieces this next couple of weeks, and then the album itself, uh, September 25th. Mm -hmm. So I'm presenting this, okay? So yeah. now there are these interviews that I'm doing for it. And what I have found in the past is... The interviewers are privy to the material even before I am got the material. Oh All right. So now the person says, uh, and I say, I've got this album. They say, I know, I've heard it. You've heard the album? How did you hear the album? Well, the people who asked me to interview you gave me the album and I played it. And now I'm talking to somebody who's heard, in this case, the album or saw the movie or right. before I have. And now here's the moment. I have to say, well, what did you think of it? And there's this pause as the person thinks about what they think of it, because they didn't expect to be asked, what did they think of it? There's this gap of a moment. And in that moment, the collective unconscious yeah, rushes in. Is. What are they going to say about my baby? Does it look like me or does it look like George, <laughs> who, who was her lover before? Who, what are they going to say in that moment? Okay. And mm -hmm. I've had really good experiences about things I've presented to the first interview. And this gentleman said, I was flabbergasted. <laughs> That's the first review of my album that a gentleman in the business <laughs> thought the album was so good that he was flabbergasted in fact i called i i've done this 
with Rob the poet and Dan uh, Miller the musician. The three mm -hmm. of us are partners, and we did this thing, this creation during the pandemic, and yes. and so we're both in love with our property, but we haven't talked to anybody else. Right, this is the first person. So I called them before I got up. Did uh, before I was doing you, I I uh, I I called them. Of course. I, I left a message for Rob and I got a hold of Dan. And I said, the first word I've gotten is they were flabbergasted. And Dan started laughing. And I left the message for Rob. Excellent. So I've communicated with my two partners that our first review was flabbergasted. Isn't that, that something? Is, I love that. What if I like, eat while, while I talk to you? Oh my gosh, go for it. Snacks and hydration are like. Well, obviously they're vital, but I can't imagine saying to someone like, no, you can't have snacks. Snacks are one of the best things about life. Eh? Oh yeah. I love eating. <laughs> What's the other thing? Well, I said one of the best. It is a podcast about a lot. I guess we could cover a lot of ground there. <laughs> no, no, no. There are very few things that equal the joy of eating. Mm. In fact, what there are studies made. Yeah that the joy of love supersedes the joy of eating. So they've had, I don't know whether you know this or not, they did an experiment where, I think it was with, uh, with uh, chimpanzees, baby chimpanzees could eat or they could go to a yes. replica yes. of their mother. Yes, it was soft, the wire. Final, yeah, the wire. And they wanted, to be, they wanted to yeah. be held more yeah. than they wanted to eat. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was, in a, it was a study on attachment because the babies would go to the soft mothers. They'd go to the soft ones to be snuggled sooner than they, they'd occasionally dart over to the wire ones where there was food. They'd like dart over like just to get the food, but then they'd go back to the soft ones. I'm glad you saw that. Yeah, yeah. So, so in, 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 in what we're talking about, what in your life uh, supersedes... Um, um super food. snacks well when you, that's funny that you brought up that study because the first thing that sprang to mind was literally i was just dog sitting for my friend and her dog was so fearful when i first got there you were dog sitting i was this teeny tiny little and tiny the dog was dog. afraid of you well she was afraid because her mom left and so she was confused why i was there but her mom wasn't yeah there. And so once she eased into things, she was such a little angel. And I felt bad that I had to leave today. And so I was thinking that it was just as good as eating snacks to pet my friend's dog. Once she like realized that I wasn't. Well, like, the dog would have come over very quickly if you had a snack. Oh, yeah. You fed the oh, dog. my God. Yeah. Oh, that that was how we lured her over was I sat very still on the floor with her favorite chicken snack in my open palm. And she very slowly was just like, I don't think you're trying to kill me. I, I don't think you've murdered my mother. You have my favorite chicken snacks. <laughs> I think we're going to be okay. What about you? Uh, not the dog. Uh, what would stop you from eating? What would stop me from eating? Like that would distract me in a good way or like mortal terror way? Well, I'm thinking of a passionate love. Ah, I have definitely forgotten to eat when I'm having an incredible conversation, when I'm working on a piece of music, or when I'm reading a really, really good book. Those are like the three things. It's like humans I love, music I'm making, 
oh my God, this story is so good. And like the next thing I know, like hours have passed. I haven't used the bathroom. I haven't eaten. Like those are the three activities where I'm like, oh my God, like I just went through like a wormhole. (laughs) Yes. Most of that's intellectual. Yes. Well, I guess so. Do you consider making music intellectual? Yeah. Okay. I guess what would what would distract you from your sandwich? What would what would be what, so, what? what would take you away from your sandwich? Like what would be so compelling? Passionate love. That's a good one. Yeah. I think that's yeah. That was my top one was humans that I love. Like whether it's snuggling or in oh, conversation. No, no. I'm talking you're about like oh. you're like I'm talking love. about the visceral passion. Have you had passionate love? That's an old question. Old <laughs> I'm very small, but I am slightly older than I look. <laughs> how, much, how much older than you look? Um, guess. I'll give you a ballpark. I'm no, being... no, you can't evade it. You got to answer. <laughs> and this is the point when he has hijacked the interview. <laughs> I see. Yeah. You're you're going to evade it because I am... you're because you're afraid of it, or because you haven't had it. Um, I am 39, almost 39 and a half. And I would say that passionate love is both physical and mental for me. And so that's why it distracts from things like eating and sleeping and going to the bathroom and all those other things, (laughs) both of them, because it's quite boring when it's just, you know, the worst is when someone is really pretty and you're like, oh, that person's so attractive. And then they open their mouth and you're like, you Never mind. <laughs> we can just uh, sh- no words. <laughs> You're giggling. Yep. So, uh, yep. You got to have the combo maneuver. Then I'm just like, all right, we will forego our basic needs for for quite a while. I'm having a an interesting, easy experiment uh, experience. Yes. There's a place next door, a little, you know, a few yards away, that is makes a great vegetable sandwich. So, over the years that I've been in this office, quite frequently, uh, Kathleen Hayes, who's my assistant, and I will order from there, and invariably I order a vegetable sandwich on this great roll. So it's all filled with vegetables. I love that. A little vinegar, a little oil, and a little mustard, okay? We haven't been in this office for a year and a half. I've kept the office going, but I haven't been here. Because I've run into lunch with you, Kathleen said, what do you want to eat? And I said, I want a vegetable sandwich. Yes. So this, in a year and a half, is the first time I've eaten their vegetable sandwich, and it's so good. Yes. Yeah. It might even take me away from passionate love. That's, I had my favorite vegetable sandwich last night that I hadn't had all pandemic, but my favorite vegetable, this vegetarian restaurant in LA that I've been going to since I was really little. Which is what? uh, Follow your heart. It's like way out in the valley. Um, I don't know if you're into esoteric vegetable restaurants, um, but like, esoteric vegetables, 
uh, esoteric vegetarian restaurants. Well, I know, but what's esoteric about it? Not many people drive to Canoga Park, though it is the place that started Veginase and vegan cheese. So they pioneered a lot of the like non-dairy stuff uh, that's really popular now. But not a lot of people know that they actually have like a cafe and a little restaurant spot because it's way like Topanga and Sherman Way. It's like way in the middle of the valley in L.A. Really, uh, you'll have to give me the send me the address. Yeah. Because yeah. The great vegetarian thing is a is really enviable. Oh my gosh, it's the best. I used to be a complete vegetarian for a while, and then i I gave it I, I gave it up to go back to to meat, but but much less meat. And I'm yes totally aware of the harm that raising cattle for meat um dust to the uh, environment yeah i think that your approach sounds what most people could do is to just moderate the amount of meat they consume because i think that people get dissuaded by how extreme they perceive either veganism or vegetarianism but if you simply moderate how much meat you eat and are more cognizant of it and limit it so that way we don't have to over farm cattle and whatnot it solves a lot of the problems last night we had a birthday party at our house for two of our family. And the I, I, I made a steak, I barbecued a steak for people who were going to eat meat. But what I preferred was those vegetarian burgers. And they make vegetarian dogs, you know, hot dogs. Yes, the Beyond Meat hot dogs are like one of the best things I've ever eaten. That was the best thing I had. Yeah. Which ones did you have? I really like their, um, I think it's like the hot Italian sausages that they have. There. That's the one. Yes. yes. Lots of spicing. And yes. it, tastes, it tastes, actually, it tastes better. Agreed. Than the real thing. I'd, and I only with have... vegetables. Yeah. So I don't know whether your, your audience, that would seem people who listen to you on a regular basis, would be vegetarians, right? That's actually, I'm curious about like, I get messages from a really interesting range of people that listen to the show. And now I'm curious how many are vegetarian or vegan? How many what? Now I'm curious, like how many are vegetarian? Are or vegetarian. Vegan? You never asked them before? We could do a poll. We could totally do a poll on our Twitter. Be like, William Shatner must know. How many of you are vegetarian? Look at the amount of lettuce they put on that salmon. Does your guy put that amount of lettuce on the salmon? Depends on what you get. I got um I got the vegan club sandwich with added avocado. So like you got to be kind of conservative with your lettuce placement so it doesn't totally fall apart. <laughs> I like that you're really falling apart. Yes. <laughs> and I see some avocado there. Yep. Yep. You know what I think? What do you think? I think the guy at this place that makes a sandwich was so happy. That he that he got this order because I, I I presume he suffered during the COVID thing. Yeah. At least he didn't get my order. That he overdid it. <laughs> he just got really. <laughs> I got I got the vegetable sandwich sandwich for Shander. Put it on. Get it. Yeah. Everything 
vegetable. Just put all of them on. <laughs> so if you're talking about passions or, you know, uh, more than one, one passion, this vegetable sandwich is really outstanding. I mean, there's no, like, aftertaste. Sometimes you eat a steak and it's too much. And this sits lightly, sits lightly on your palate and and your uh, your stomach. It's an airy sort of good meal. I'm having a good meal while talking to you. That makes me so happy. <laughs> and I'm so glad that you get to be back in your office. Like you were working on this project this year. You were working on a lot this year. It sounds like you're very creatively generative, but you get to be back in your office with your favorite sandwich. Well, this album, which is called Bill, Rob and Dan and I, let me, let me go back uh, to begin the story because there's several things that I'm doing that I'd like to make mention of. So the first one is the album Bill, which, as I said, is coming up in a month. And shortly before the pandemic, Dan and Rob came. We had a, a dinner together. We were, we were friends uh, for a long time, and and we were eating dinner um, at a restaurant that wasn't vegetarian restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and and Dan and and uh, Dan said the musician said to Rob who I didn't know it at the time, but is an extraordinary poet. Hmm. And he said to both of us, why don't we do an album together? And we both agreed. We all three of us agreed. And I didn't know the limited, the unlimited, unli the unlimitation <laughs> of Rob's talent. Wow. So when we decided that we would do uh, uh, I've written some books and, and R Rob had read them and he said, well, why don't we do something like, a, like on some of these adventures or things that you've done? So we decided to do that, uh, make it like an autobiographical album. Once we began, we, the three of us so fell in love with what we were doing that it became a work of passion and a revelation, and uh, and and we slowly put together. I would talk about an event in my life to Rob, and Rob would write out poetry, and I would say maybe get that, and then we'd rewrite it, and then and then we'd pass it on to Dan, and Dan would either lay down a track or lay down the music, or I would record it first. But my my limitations was in music. Uh, itself, and I needed to tap into Dan's, but since we were the three of us were separated, like, how do you do, how do you do an album separated the way we were by 3,000 miles there in New York and I'm in Los Angeles? How do you do an album with this separation? Most albums, this, the, the, whoever's making the album goes into a studio of course. And spends a long time in the studio. The group, the God, they rehearsed. 
we didn't do that. What kind of a song is this? Well, here, may, well, maybe I'll try and invent this. And we stumbled our way through, especially in the beginning. We get, got to know more and more how to do it as we went along. But we begat an, al an album that the first person who heard it, who is, I'm sure, extremely knowledgeable, said, it's flabbergasting. So we've got an album called Bill. A flabbergasting album <laughs> done in the in the in the in the COVID in the year of COVID, we did it over Zoom with iPhones. Uh, didn't go to a studio. I recorded on a microphone in in the iPhone. Yes. Sort of. Unbelievable, flabbergasting. I love that because it's like when I had originally conceptualized this podcast, it was in like prior to COVID times. And I wanted to talk to people about how doing multiple things informed your identity. But then COVID was like, surprise, none of us are being perceived. There are no rules anymore. And I was like, oh my God, that really opens things up. <laughs> like, and you, you have this opportunity to make an album in a way you would have probably not made it before. <laughs> well, there was no way of making it that way. But that was that. So that's that passion. I, because I have horses at a stable with half an hour from my home, I was able to get in the car and go to the stable and not come into contact with anybody. They, the people at the stable would prepare the horse, the trainer, because mm. I'm doing a skill, a, a, a equine skill called reining, which is very athletic and requires a lot of preparation. I would go and I would, uh, you know, we're on horseback outside, separated more than six feet. And so I, I wasn't fearful of, of anything there. And we would ride the horses and rehearse with the horses. And, and, and I had time. And one of the big things that that I've heard more than once that affected me during this COVID time, not that it's over, is we had time to think about what we're doing, to slow down. And this slow down to have, to participate in my passions, horses, creativity, workout. I got in and I would swim often. Um, relationships we would have family meetings there's 15 immediate family in this area my three daughters live within two daughters live within a couple of miles of my house and the third daughter lives uh, about 50 miles away so essentially we're all in the same area and the grandchildren their children live here some have live at their home but some have gone on to their own homes nearby so 15 people, instead of having dinner every Sunday night, 15 people. So somebody way at the other end of the, hi, how's it going? Really well. Okay, good. And then you're back <laughs> talking to who is ever near you. There were 15 people in close-up, like you and I are in close-up. I'm seeing your face. Your little round face, and it's so nice, and, and it glows. Your face glows. You put on moisturizer. <laughs> very well hydrated. Yeah, you're very well hydrated. From being outside. Can, yeah, well, you can tell. 
So you're in close-up with everybody in the family. Imagine that doing, instead of dinner, you're doing a Zoom. That's so true. I hadn't thought of it that way. My parents are here in Los Angeles, but I didn't see them for the first few months. I was potted with several of my friends because I was worried about them getting ill. Um, and so they were in the valley and I was in the city. But then by the summer, we would visit their house, but we would visit in the backyard because they have a little back house. So that way, if we needed to like use the restroom or things like that, we could just go to the back house. So like we would be hanging out in the backyard together. But they saw me a lot on Zoom. And then my sister and my nieces live um, in NorCal up near San Francisco. So it's like my nieces are used to FaceTime anyway. Like they're fascinated by it. But now this was all that we had. And I don't know how much I've, and they're little kids. They're like 10 and wait, they're 11 and nine now. They'll hold the phone like this, like, like, <laughs> like up their own noses practically. <laughs> so you wouldn't do it by computer. You wouldn't do it on Zoom. You did it on the iPhone. They don't love to sit still for Zoom because they had to sit still for Zoom for school. So when they were talking to me, when they were talking to Aunt Pam, they were taking their mom's phone and like they wanted to go outside with me. They wanted to take me with them. So it was like I could kind of be there with them, essentially. So how beautiful is that? It was wonderful. I got to so play outside of them. That's if you have the equipment, not a, not a majority of the people don't have the equipment. But for those of us who have the computer and can work on Zoom, it was different and in some ways better than uh, a an odd telephone call in your case, because you, you it's really quite a distance away. Or in my case, if all 15 of us met at a restaurant, oh my God. it was, it like was pandemonium. Too, too big. It was pandemonium. Exactly. That's yeah. Cause even, even when it's like me and my parents, my sister, my brother-in-law and my nieces, it's still sometimes a little hectic. Whereas with, Zoom, right. with something like this, I, I was talking to someone else about this, about the particular kind of attention that one must pay on Zoom because you can't pick up on almost like ambient nonverbal cues that you would pick up in person. Whereas with Zoom, you have to actually focus more to pick up on nonverbal cues. You have to really look and you have to really tune in. Whereas in person, you might catch someone's gesture out of the corner of your eye. That's where you are you know. about the nonverbal cues. That's exactly right. You're seeing the eyes. You're seeing the muscles of the face twitch yes it's like a zoom in whereas if i was sitting across from you we might not sit this close that might be kind of weird while you're eating a sandwich to be like hello right. I'm a foot you'd from be your munching face. in your face <laughs> right. would like, not be a good thing <laughs> you'd be like would you like some of the copious vegetables <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a very unique circumstance and now it's strange because then like when this call ends, like you'll go on to other calls and there'll be other people that get to hang out with you like this, that you probably wouldn't in any other time or setting. But it requires a computer. Yes. And a contract to, I guess with Zoom or something. So most people wouldn't have this luxury. That's what I do wonder about is people's experience that were isolated from this, especially I was thinking about kids that were in school that either didn't have, say, like an iPad or computer at home or things like that to, like, connect them. My daughter tells me that her child, my grandchild, did Zoom, uh, had Zoom for a year, and it got really bad. 
Yeah. It's one of my nieces liked it. And one of my nieces was so bored. Like she was just like, she just, I remember it was my older niece, actually. She was just like, I'm just not really into it. Aunt Pam. <laughs> well, they lose a year. Yeah. Yeah. And like they potted with like some of the circles of friends would get together. So that way it's like, you could at least be accountable to one another and the kids would at least play outside. Like they would play. One of the kids. No, I'm talking about, I'm talking about a teenager. Oh. Who tells me of these sad stories of teenagers who in a fetal position on bed because of all the, there's a, there's a loneliness factor too. Yeah, because especially when you're a teenager, that's when you're figuring out who you are in relation to your peers. Like, it's so important to be around your peers when you're that age, because you're, they reflect you back and forth. And that's how you sort things out. Say that again, because I'm, I'm dealing with that with one of the teenagers. I don't quite understand what I'm dealing with. Say that again. They ref, they, they're friends. They're reflected. Tell me that again. Yeah, like... Do you remember like how important it was when you were a teenager to talk to your friends about the music you were listening no, to? No, I, I never had that. Or watching like teenagers look to their peers to see who they are and they'll get really passionate about certain things for like a short amount of time if their friends like it. Like they try on their identities essentially before we get to them like our 20s where we kind of establish more of what we like because we've tried a few things as teenagers. How interesting. Is that something you've learned in school? from a course or is that something you've observed? Um, so spoiler alert, my background is actually, I'm a therapist and a musician. So that's why I started a podcast talking to people. You're a, wait a, a minute, you're a therapist, start again. <laughs> you're a therapist. Yes. What, uh, a psychological therapist. Yes, I have my master's in clinical psychology. And clinical, and, and who, who will you, would your patients be? What kind of people? When I first started, I specialized in children and adolescents, and now I work with, I would say most of my clients are anywhere from their very early 20s to mid-40s. My oldest oh my client goodness. is in their 60s. How exciting is that? So you, you're actively involved. You're doing, oh, yeah. you, have a, you have a client list. Oh, yeah. I have, I have a group practice, actually. Like you have I a have, what? You have I a have, what? I have a group practice. Like I have my own clients and then I train several therapists and I have a co-therapist who trains oh, more therapists. Sakes, I didn't yeah. know that. That's <laughs> wonderful. That's why your, your answers are, or your questions are certainly your answers. I've had a intellectual quality to them. I always, yeah, that's, that's why I always joke with people that I'm like, I'm not as young as I look. I'm just very small and well hydrated. <laughs> Well, I created. I'm like a sleeper cell of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, going back to the, why are we doing that? Anyway, it's reflected a talk show yes. that I'm doing now, um, called "I Don't Understand." Ooh. Right. So this company asked me to do a talk show, and I said, "Okay," but I want to call it. I don't understand. So I've done a number of them and it's going very well. It's on a network called RT, the RT network, but it's also um, streaming. So you can get it on, uh, on, on an app. What inspired you to call it, I don't understand? Exactly.
because I know that I, I won't speak for you, but I know nothing. I mean, and I see people who think they know something who really don't know. They profess to know, but they don't know. So I'm trying to understand the basics of everything. Basics. What I don't understand. Well, here's one. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting on the curb, essentially, watching this gentleman put some rocks together with cement, with uh, concrete. Okay. And I said, well, what's the mixture of cement and and sand and boulder and uh, he said, well, this is, uh, this is how much of this. Are you aware that the Romans made concrete that lasted for 2,000 years? I mean, Colosseum, the walls, the thing. I said, yeah. He said, do you know that they lost the formula? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're nodding your head. Yeah, they lost it during the Dark Ages. I've never met anybody who knew that. <laughs> okay? So... I, I, I set that in as a subject matter I want to talk about. I mean, I mean, how do you lose the formula to concrete? And that's like one of the subjects. I want to talk to a, an authority figure who maybe even be you. The dark age, I mean, dark ages is only a name that we've applied to. A lot of things were going on then. That's People a- lived and died and discovered things. That's, I think, what happened is if there's that much chaos, I mean, no. What chaos? The Roman Empire disappeared. Yeah, it kind of collapsed in a, a rubble yeah. heap. Well, so other um, tribes, other civilizations took place. People lived and died. They loved and they and they invented and they made buildings and they things happened for a thousand years before the 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 twelve hundreds or wherever the Dark Ages were supposed to have ended. Things happened. How do you forget? A formula like concrete, for God's sakes. It sounds like no one thought to ask. Exactly. I don't understand that. And that's what my show is all about. I love that. I love that. Why did no one think to ask? Like in all the things that they were doing and all the chaos, weren't they like, hey, that building's been hanging out for a while. Well, they, they had to, they had to say, it's raining. I need something to stop the rain on my head. Well, the guy over there in that long... In Italy, made this wall. Let's do that. Well, maybe some of it's due to arrogance. Like if you take over a place and you're just like, well, I know better. I took over. Far be it from you then to ask for advice from the people who lived there. They might actually know what's going on. Yes, but, <laughs> you know. Yes, but listen to this. As we know, in Miami, the building fell down because the concrete wasn't solid enough. Exactly. And the rebar rusted. In 50 years, the wall fell down. 50 years. We're talking about 2,000 years old wall standing. Right. Well, how is that possible? What's going on here? I don't understand. Like, I don't understand. I want to know. Oh, can you do one on how we can relearn all of the, like, indigenous fire control in California because they actually had fire control going on. And now we clearly don't. We need that knowledge. Who had fire control going on? The indigenous peoples in California would actually have controlled burns. Yeah, that's how they controlled it. They exactly. let it burn. 
Yes. How do we do that strategically again? Like that's what I don't understand. I bet we're going to do it again. We're going to do that now. I would, I would love to hear more about that. Well, I'm the one commandeering your show. (laughs) No, I mean, it just, uh, to me, that's how, what I'd like to know more than that is I'd like to talk to a firefighter. I'd like to talk to a firefighter about what does it feel like to pull that aluminum blanket over your head Mm. and feel the fire go past you, the roar. They say it's like a train. It's unbelievable. Wouldn't that be interesting to hear about what you're fighting a fire? How are you fighting it? What do you mean? And then how do you get caught? Don't you run? You know? And then what do you do? Because it's a human instinct. Like I think of some of my friends actually spin fire, and I've never spun fire. I've spun the tools that you fire with. Yeah. What do you mean spun? Um. So there's a there's these tools. There's like fire fans, and there's poi. They're metal, and then you light them on fire, and you dance with them, so you can spin them round. Oh right, right. Yeah, and it makes. Well, I can understand that. Yeah. You understand somebody swallowing fire? That's only one of my friends does that. And it goes against human instinct to swallow fire and same thing with running but, towards the fire. But, but fires have different temperatures, ignition points. True. So the fire they light is some oil that has a very low ignition point. So even if the fire gets close, they not for very long, of course, they're able to avoid a burn. But those fires that we're talking about in the forest reach many uh, thousand something degrees whatever it is it's far more than the ignition point of right what is it uh 40 what was the name of the book that what's his name wrote about the ignition uh, fahrenheit 451 451 that's ignition point of uh, paper yes yes oh good book um Yeah, because one is like a controlled fire that you have the illusion of control because you're dancing with it and you've ignited it. Whereas the other is, what does it, what does it feel like to run towards something that you're elementally? Exactly. So, what's more exciting? Oh my gosh, I want to hear that episode. I'm gonna put this away. (laughs) Did you pull the? I stopped eating, and I avoided getting it on me, and I'm gonna use this to go to dinner with some people tonight. There you go. Awesome. I won't have to change my shirt. That was okay. Endeavor to so, not get that sandwich. So on. the next thing that I'm doing, the yes. next passionate thing I'm doing, is a show on the um, on the um, History Channel called The Unexplained. Yes. Like, I'm going to ask you a question that I have never had. A, a, a uh, good answer to, but it's right up your field of study. <laughs> Are you ready? Now, all your training and all your the masks that we wear. So your mask as a as a as a therapist needs to be held up. And I'm going to ask you the question: What is clairvoyance? Ooh, that's such a good question. See, <gasps> a good question, a good question is diamonds. Good question. Yes. There's nothing more valuable than a good question. 
all the clairvoyant and clairsentient, all the beyond the sensory questions. Yes. So fascinating. Messages that, what, what were those people writing in 9-11 who didn't go to work and wrote down, I had something terrible is going to happen, I just know it. We have documentary evidence that people sensed, I don't know whether they were specific enough to say they're going to put a plane in the building, but they didn't go to work because they felt mm -hmm. something terrible was going to happen. They anticipated a future event, and that happens not infrequently. Exactly. What is the answer, not only to clairvoyance itself, but what are the implications of clairvoyance? For one, I don't think that time nor space is linear, and I also think that there are senses beyond the five that we have discovered. That but are wait a minute, wait a minute. One is in conflict with the other. What you've just said is in conflict. <laughs> okay, there are things, the senses are not the only thing. That's exactly right. Yes. That, that something we don't know about, like um, uh, a sixth sense about something or a deja vu. If those, are, those are things that, you know, that may have happened, the deja vu, you've been there, you have something, uh, uh, sixth sense, nonverbal communication, uh, all kinds of potential answers. Yes. What you don't have an answer for beyond senses, unless you're sensing something that already happened and is going to happen. And what are the, <laughs> how does that work in our known world? Okay. That's what I'm talking about. I'm it's so unexplained, grateful. and that's on the 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 um, History Channel on Friday nights. And we just had a big order for the third season, <gasps> and so it's going to happen. It's a fun, marvelously crafted uh, show that you got to watch. The unexplained. I'm so excited about watching that. I'm making. You can see I'm making tiny tiny plotting hands and i'm just like uh, yeah you're making little notes there what what yeah. uh, like what is that describe now as i analyze this this gesture when I, well i play the piano um and i have a lot of sensory knowledge in my fingers and so when i get excited i tend to move my fingers would you play would you if you'd had a piano would you played something that, that, that reflected will. what you were thinking yeah, usually when I'm recording the podcast, I'm not at my home right now, I'm at my friend's home, um, but I usually have actually, it's usually my music station. And so I actually have my keyboard in front of me, like my well, mini. Why aren't you doing it up from home? Oh, there's been construction at my home. Uh, How long have you been staying with friends? I have not been in my home other than to manage construction since the 4th of June. So June, July, August, like 15, 12, 15 weeks. I've been an itinerant adventurer around Los Angeles. It means you're sleeping around. <laughs> sleeping around. I'm, I'm polyamorous with neighborhoods. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in Highland Park, Elysian Heights, all the way to Thousand Oaks. It's technically is Ventura County, now that I think so, about it. So let me skip uh, to what uh, the other passion. So that's that show, the talk show, and the... Uh, and um, the album, and um, I'm writing another book. Um, yes. I haven't sold it yet, but we're writing the book, and the agent is enthralled with the book and, and is going to present it uh, very soon. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll get a, a buy. Um, so there's the book, which I don't know what we're going to call. 
And then there's the horses, which we... Yes. Horses, animals, my dogs and my horses. Yes. I've had Dobermans all my life. That was my first dog. I have two dogs. Because you go away for a while and they're alone and and uh, they get need to pack up. There's no question. Exactly. Yeah. So my two dogs, the male and female, uh, Macchiato and Espresso. <laughs> <laughs> Their father was Starbuck. I named him Starbuck. Oh my god. <laughs> um. So Macchiato and and Espresso are two passions of mine. Uh, the, the so dogs and horses and the training. And training is really an unfortunate name. It's like I'm training. But you love your dogs into re reacting like you would love your children into being a part of your life and not being, not overwhelm your life and you don't overwhelm their life and how to live. How do we all? So a, a lot of my training is all oh, manners, manners. <laughs> they go, huh? Well, what are we? Yep. Yep. And they show you so much, especially being around horses and dogs. I have not been around horses as much. So I'm fascinated to hear about your experience, but like, at least my experience with dogs is they always show me so much about myself whenever mm -hmm. I'm with them. What do they tell you? They're so attuned to my mood sometimes even before I am. Ah. And they remind me to slow down and sometimes just snuggle on the floor and be silly. Oh yeah. They pack up with you. Yeah. My dogs, my dogs have been <clears throat> my savior. Uh, I, I wasn't, uh, <coughs> excuse me, wasn't allowed to have dogs when I was younger. And uh, living at home, they didn't want the, didn't want to get the, the, the house dirty. But right. the moment I left home and I, I had my own place, uh, whatever it was, apartment or whatever the moment i got married uh i started having dogs i've never not had two dobies from that moment on that's a lot of years that's so sweet it is beyond sweet they're beyond they're beyond burger <laughs> <laughs> what do you love so much about dobies like for people who haven't had one i think that they are truly a unique experience well a doberman is a real dog. Dogs uh, were uh, civilized from friendly wolves, so we think. Uh, so genetically, they became uh, they became uh, 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 civilized and domesticated. Is the word I'm looking for? They became domesticated. We've seen experiments in domestication of of uh, silver foxes. Do you know about that experiment? I was reading about that actually because a family of skunks adopted me at one of the sublets and I went down a, a weird internet hole of animals that had been domesticated. <laughs> so silver foxes, I believe this happened in Russia. It took about 40 generations, maybe 10, 20 years. And they domesticated silver foxes. And what happened was silver foxes who don't bark started to bark. Silver foxes coats changed to colors, was no longer yeah. silver. You know, and they be, they evidenced all the uh, the things, uh, the behavior of dogs. They yes. became dogs. Yes. And 
in 40 generations because we've learned that their uh, DNA is uh, there are a couple of genetic points where it's very easy genetically to change dogs to change dogs and that's why there are so many breeds because it's easily done so Herr Doberman uh, decided that he needed um, protection uh, uh, around uh, 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 territorial protection so he bred many of the breeds that were available to him in Germany uh, at the turn of the 19th at the beginning of the 20th century so he begat a, 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 a type of dog named after him, Doberman, who was very territorial. When they came to the States and they were shown, they were asked to leave if they didn't growl at the judge who was putting hands on to see where the bones were in the teeth. If they didn't growl, they were asked to leave. Wow. About 20 years later, because the Americans got a hold of the breeding, if they did growl, they were asked to leave. And Americans didn't cull the way the Germans did. So if a, if a, 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 a dog was a different color, like the shepherds, yeah. uh, the Germans cull it immediately to retain the sanctity of the breeding. Whereas we, North Americans, uh, are too kind to do that. And so we get all kinds of alleles. Uh, yeah. in the breeding and some of it's good and some of it's bad as breeding does. So it's really an, an interesting observation of the different cultures. That truly is. Dobermans then became territorial, but friendly. Yes. Now that with all that bad publicity of being attacked dogs and things, people see a Doberman and think, Oh my God, police dog is going to bite me, which they don't do, but it's good for us owners Bad publicity. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The two so, kinds of dogs that my family has had are Dobermans and a pit mix. And everyone was terrified of all of them. And all of them are just the sweetest babies. <laughs> like, right. Because right. <laughs> they're really smart, especially Dobermans are so smart. I remember my, my dog when I was a child, she would like, she would put her toys away, but she would put them on my shelf. So I'd, no yeah, I'd go to my shelf when I was a kid and there would be like my stuffed animals and then there'd be like, she'd line them up. Yeah. There'd be her squeaky toys, like interspersed, which of course she'd like de-squeaker them, but still treasure. Right. Right. I'll put a bone there as well. Yeah. Yeah. She would just like line them up. Like I see, this is where toys go. Okay. <laughs> Unbelievable. I've seen footage of Dobermans putting them in a pattern. Which is re like remark and re repetition. So the, oh, yeah. when you pick them up and put them away, they pick them up and put them back. And I'm not quite sure what the uh, what the instinct is. I don't know what that reflects. You know, but birds will do that. Yeah, birds will bring you. Which is the kind of bird that'll bring you presents? Is it crows that'll bring you presents? Uh, usually the macaws. Usually the parrots, uh, which. Uh, uh, are apparently, but I don't believe it is really so. Apparently, are the smartest. But the I'm about to say COVID, the corid, co, the crow, corvid, what corid, corvids, corvid, it's it corvid, the corvid breeds. That's the the J and the uh, uh, the crow and the raven. The raven is supposed to be the brightest of them all. 
but uh, yeah, they would bring you. They they they're just they're the intelligence of dogs, and dogs may have, uh, you know, who know I don't know in your studies whether they've studied how how bright the animal is compared to the human baby, but in years, you know, uh, and then of course we don't know how intelligent the elephants and the right. orcas are. That almost goes back to kind of what you were talking about with like clairvoyance or clairsentience, like all of the beyond sensory stuff that I wonder if animals share as well, but we aren't able to observe it yet, like that we don't know how to observe it. Well, yet. we've seen um, evidence of, we don't know quite what it is. We say, we, we, we seem to think that it is physical. Uh, 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 hurricanes coming uh, up east, up the eastern seaboard, uh, long, long before the current, like like now, the birds of a certain area disappear mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. that storm that's uh, in the coming to Florida in a few days will hit the, the, the they disappear right and um, elephants not elephants but uh, animals near the sh seashores will sense probably the rhythm the, the the vibration of the earth will send the animals and how do they know to go to higher land right we don't know but we see them go right uh, like it speaks to the same kind of instinctual knowledge that we sometimes can't identify like you said about the people who had a bad feeling and didn't go to work that day where right. it's like and i i do i'm so curious when we'll figure out more about how time works because I really don't feel like it's completely linear or at least it's not linear in the way of like for instance if someone says to you oh that'll take five minutes does five minutes feel the same for you regardless of what you're doing or yeah but you see uh, that argument feasible? that argument about time that's feeling your observation of the of the uh, uh, of the time is your feeling oh god that seemed like hours it was only five minutes like this interview which has got to come to an end yeah. right right now. It seems like five minutes, <laughs> but, but that's our apprehension, comprehension of time, time, the, your heartbeat is still going. The clock is still ticking. And, and I've never understood. And that's why I want, I don't understand how time slows down when you're in space. So that's another whole question. What a joy it is to talk to you. Oh, it was such a delight talking to you. I really appreciate your time. <laughs> well, my time has been your time. And you should write a song. My time. It's your time. <laughs> what a pleasure to you. Thank you so That's much. A pleasure. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode.
Thank you.